What's the worst part about breaking four tackles and running into the end zone for the game-winning touchdown? Not having your Wayfair still with you to protect your eyes from all the flashbulbs. Sounders, keep your shades anchored and where they belong during life's greatest feats. Head to soundergoods.com and use promo code KTTC to get 10% off and free shipping with any order. You're listening to the Keefe to the City Podcast. Here's Neil Keefe. All right, so we're a week out from Christmas. It's the holiday season here in New York City. And uh, one of the things that I get to miss out on this year and got to experience it a few years ago was the Rangers on 24-7 on HBO. And uh, it was the best season to date. Um, The last season of this uh, was the Red Wings Maple Leafs, which was pretty miserable. The first season of Penguins Capitals was okay, but Rangers and Flyers is uh, probably number one in the power rankings right now, not only from a Rangers fan standpoint, but also the cast of characters and the guys who were involved in that one. But this year, things might be different. Uh, The show is now on Epics, and it's about the Blackhawks and Capitals this season, and I think the Blackhawks might have the inside track on overtaking the Rangers for the uh, the number one overall seed here if we had power rankings for the show, led by their uh, legendary coach, Joel Quenville. And here to talk about this, the series and the first episode, which aired on Tuesday night, is Ryan Brandell. You know him as Barstool Chief on Chicago um, Barstool Sports, and he's here to talk about the show. Ryan, how's it going today? Uh, it's going pretty well. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, all that, and uh, <laughs> thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. I know we haven't talked now. We talked right before the NHL season got started, and then we talked uh, sort of around the Olympic break last year. So, uh, you know, you've been on now a few times, and this is the first time, really, it's only going to be Blackhawk-centric, which is uh, right up your avenue. And after watching one episode, I only see Quenville in the sense that really national people do when he's on NBC Sports or when he's doing a a playoff press conference or something. I never really um, got to see him in in the light or or maybe the light behind the bench. And maybe no one has um, in the sense that we got to see on Tuesday night. And as of right now, I mean, he has the chance to be the most memorable character ever on any episode of this show. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. He's been the, he was the star uh, in the first episode, at least. You got a lot of FaceTime, a lot of mic time, a lot of, a lot of F-bombs, as uh, uh, you could expect coming from a hockey coach behind the bench. He's just got this like kind of raspy but booming voice all at the same time. and um, he, he, he was fantastic last night. I laughed out loud several times. He was just yelling peanut butter uh, <laughs> after, after goals was cracking me up. And uh, he and you're right about um, when you said that not too many people really know what he's like. Uh, he's he has like a little bit of a Belichick in him, where he doesn't give the media anything. So you know he he's very I wouldn't say curt, but he he's short with uh, with the media and doesn't give a lot of detail. Uh, seems to give as li- as little as possible. Uh, his favorite thing to say when asked a question is "We'll see." So it'll be like, you know, so-and-so ready to go, and we'll see. And they're like, he knows the answer. Like, he knows who's playing, who's not, but he that's his thing. So last night, you know, letting him uh, kind of show his personality a little bit more, what he's actually like, was, was great. And I, I thought I couldn't love him anymore. I was wrong. Like, I loved Coach Q more than ever after after last night. Well, judging from you know the way you write in your tweets and stuff, I know you're obviously a big fan of his to begin with because he's the uh, the leader of the two Stanley Cup teams. But yeah, I guess 
last night fed right into uh, everything you already liked about him. And the thing with him is that, you know, growing up playing hockey and, and playing basically my entire life, uh, I, I know just about every word, every term, every slang word there is. But to hear Backdoor Susie and Peanut Butter and just <laughs> some of the lines that he had, I mean, it was just opening up a whole whole new vocabulary and dictionary for me. Yeah, the, 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 the Duncan Keith Backdoor Susie, like I tried to replay that a couple times on um – I downloaded the app so I could actually watch the uh, thing today, um, but I, I couldn't. If, if that's what it was, backdoor Susie. That's a new one. That's a new one for me. I played hockey for you know twenty years or whatever. I hadn't heard that one. Uh, but peanut butter is kind of like you know where Mama hides the peanut butter up on the top shelf. I think that's what that is. Uh, either way, I love it. I'm going to use it in all walks of life now. Anytime I do anything good, it's going to be peanut butter. Any, or anything, anytime anything good happens around me, it's going to be peanut butter. So it uh, couldn't be, and he, just the way he pronounces it, too, like he really like hits every syllable, like peanut butter. And uh, and I love it. I love Coach Q last night. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing. I thought originally that he that he meant that with the peanut butter putting it top shelf, but then it seemed like the only time to use it was with Kane, so I thought maybe it was something between the two of them. Perhaps, hopefully, you know, we'll get a little bit uh, more insight to that as we go along. Maybe I'll ask somebody if if, if there's anything to that. But I think uh, uh, my first instinct was just the way that I, I had always heard it used, where, you know, top shelf where Mama hides the cookies or hides the peanut butter. There's lots of different uh, variations of that. But that's, what, that's how I took it. Um, I could probably do a little bit more research to find out if there's something special for, uh, for Kane. Well, starting uh, from the beginning of the show, before uh, Coach Q took it to like South Park levels and South Park movie levels, uh, it started, the real first scene you see is Kevin Deneen uh, going over the practice with the Blackhawks for that day, and that sort of tore at the heartstrings a little, because I grew up in, in Connecticut, I know you originally from there, and to see the former captain of the Whalers, you know, stand there going over practice, it, it not only, you know, makes you nostalgic for the days of the whale, but it also kind of makes you realize how old you are, because I just, you know, you still feel like a little kid sometimes, and you think you see number 11 out there on the ice, but really, you know, he's already removed from a Panthers job, and here he is on the bench for the Blackhawks. Yeah, and uh, I was pretty excited when they hired Kevin Deney, and I'm glad he got some face time. He was the last captain of the Whalers like that. Uh, their last game was actually on my, on my birthday. So when I was 11, so I like vividly remember like sitting there, they played an afternoon game and like Kevin Deneen gave this big uh, goodbye speech. And I don't know that I've heard him speak since. So it's like, <laughs> Oh, there's, there's my guy, Kevin Deneen again. Uh, but now he's with us, us and uh, coach Q was actually a former Whaler as well. So uh, there's a few Whaler ties with, uh, with the Hawks. The, uh, and right after that, you know, they first get into the Blackhawks. They talk about uh, losing Game Seven of the Western Conference Finals to the King Kings, and we talked about that before the season started. Going back and looking back on it, and how we talked about the winner of opportunity last year. But when Crawford talks about it, he uses the quote um, talking about the, the game-winning goal. I think I ran through that last goal maybe a hundred times in my head, and to me, that seemed like uh, either he just you know, was, you know, misspoke or something, but for being not only, you know, involved in the game, being the goalie that that goal went in on and, and not that, he, you know, maybe he should have stopped it or anything. But for you as a fan, I mean, I've thought about each overtime losing goal to the Kings in the final probably a thousand times each. And for Crawford to say only a hundred times, I feel like he, he sort of downplayed that one. Uh, I mean, I think he was trying to say it for emphasis that he uh, still kind of haunts him. And uh, so I, I didn't take it that way, but, yeah, I mean, I personally I could have done without 
the flashback because <laughs> uh, <laughs> just kept looking forward to going back to the beginning of this year. I know what happened. We all know what happened. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was it was a tough. I guess you know, for the casual fan, you kind of have to build a little story and, and say what the Blackhawks have been through lately. Uh, but yeah, I did. I didn't need to see that. I was kind of hoping that uh, we wouldn't have to watch that one go off of uh, Nicoletti's butt and then the goal to win it. So I, I and that was the other thing. Like I don't know. How, like if I were Crawford, uh, he was bad in that series. Or uh, if he wants to run other goals through his mind a hundred times or a thousand times, I'm cool with that. But that goal, hard to put that one on him. So move on, Crow. It's time to. Uh, we're on to on to 2015. So new goals. And, and right after that, Quenville talks about getting back to the cup, getting back to being a championship team. And I think the way he talks about it, he seems like he really understands how fortunate it is to be the head coach of a team that won it twice and, and knowing how hard it is to. And I think that's one of the things as a Rangers fan to not have won it in now over 20 years and to get back there and to be so close in, in all those games and, and blow them all in overtime. And you look at all the preparation that goes in, um, you know, with the work and practice, the video work, uh, the training camp work, and, and on the capital side, what they've done with their goaltending coach, which we'll get to. But all this work, and, and then you get in the playoffs, and, and Dan Girardi, like, passes the puck, you know, right in front of his own net, and it's a game-winning or game-losing goal. And it just seems like there's so many, so much work and preparation that goes through the NHL season, and to have things come down to a couple lucky bounces or deflections or, uh, you know, a stupid penalty at the end of a playoff game, it, I guess it, it just goes to show how Quenville really gets it and understands that how not only fortunate but really lucky the Blackhawks have been the last few years. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you have to be lucky and good uh, to win the cup. And I think Coach Q, you know, he he's third all time in wins right now. So he's been a, around a lot of good hockey in his coaching career, and only has two cups. I mean, he coached St. Louis for probably I think eight years, and won a couple Presidents trophies. Had some great teams but never could quite get over the hump. So I think he knows that, that how, how special this current group is. And it sounds like uh, um, in around the same time of that show, they interviewed Dave and Kane talking about the team and their, and their massive uh, contract extensions. And it was just like, you know, it, it, like we're always built up as stars, but we got a lot of stars. And he rambles off like you know, eight names. It's like, yeah, I mean, that's why they're the best team or, or, or one of them. Um, so yeah, it definitely, uh, definitely seems like all the guys in the organization are uh, hyper competitive, which helps obviously if you're chasing down multiple cups. But also uh, realize like how fragile it is and how lucky they are to be where they are at this moment. And with Kane and Taves talking about that and the team and how I think one of them says it's sort of insane or ridiculous to consider them superstars with the other guys around them, and for them to both be locked up now and and when the when you watch them on tape and on camera by themselves, they're so soft spoken and almost like camera shy. And then, you know, when you see them in the game, how wild they are and how crazy they get. And, and to Kane's, uh, to Kane's perspective, how crazy he gets with his nightlife and his partying. It's just, it's night and day for these guys when they have to talk to the media or be on camera to who they really truly are. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the idea with this show is we're supposed to get to know their personalities a little bit. And I feel like we didn't, uh, other than, maybe um, Coach Q and Trust. The players, we didn't see a lot of personality. I thought, like you, you mentioned uh, in the lead-in there, about that Rangers-Flyers one. Uh, you know, I felt like there was a lot of times with the players on that show, and, and like you got to know those guys a little bit more. And I thought, especially uh, the other one that we I felt that way about was the Penguins. 
Capitals when they were, you know, they had um, uh, geez, Flurry and Crosby, and then um, who was the star of that show? The fourth line guy who's bounced around now, French kid. He was like a he was like a scrappy guy. He had uh, he had like the two goals in uh, to win the Stanley Cup for the Penguins back in 2008. But it doesn't matter. But they like they had a lot of good uh, a lot of good personalities on that team, and, and I feel I hope I'm hopeful that the Hawks will. Uh, get to show some of their personalities. They, you know, they're Corey Crawford after they won, it gave that drunken speech <laughs> talking about how they're the biggest bunch of beauties in the league. So I'd like to see some of that. Like see you guys clown around in the room a little bit and, you know, give me each other a hard time and, and see, you know, what it's like to actually be in that locker room. I'm sure that Bauer wasn't too happy with Taves when he's ribbing his sticks off the rack and saying, saying these sticks are garbage and basically holding yeah. them responsible for his, for his scoring drought. I, was, I think that was the thing with Taze is that it was like these three Bowers stink, <laughs> but these these other three that I'm putting on the rack, these ones are fine. So it was all Bauer all the time, but it was just he, he had a problem with those three in particular. So I thought, yeah, that was a little bit of a, a little bit of a funny moment, I guess. Last January was the uh, that was the first time I've ever been to Chicago, and I went to a Rangers Blackhawks and. Uh, that was the first time, obviously, in Chicago, going to a Blackhawks game, seeing the anthem live in person. And I, I do think, I think Chicago does it right, because when you think about the national anthem, I understand that people, you know, want to be respectful, and that's why everyone's quiet and such. But to go crazy and be cheering and applauding, it's almost like you're proud to be an American. And I feel like whenever I can watch the Blackhawks on TV or, you know, on the, on the NHL package or whenever I catch the beginning of the games, it's like must-see TV. And I think they could, did a good job of capturing that and showing, uh, you know, just how crazy it, it ha- has been. And I thought it was not not really recent thing, but a more recent thing than going back to 1985. I didn't realize it had been going on that long. Now, full disclosure, I was a little bit confused on that as well. I, I thought it started, uh, they had the All-Star game, um in Chicago, the old Chicago Stadium during the Gulf War. And I thought that's when it started. It was like 1991 or 92 or whatever that was. So I was mistaken on that as well. So I guess it goes all the way back to 85. I wonder how that actually got started. Um, other than maybe just a few drunk guys uh, in the, uh, the 300 level, who knows. But, uh, but yeah, it's a great thing now. I, I'll never forget going to uh, the first Blackhawks playoff game Um you know, the year they went to the conference finals in, in 2009, and that was the loudest I've ever, uh, loudest stadium I've ever been in was during the anthem of game, I believe it was game three against Calgary. Like the first home playoff game in however many years, the place was rocking. And from the anthem, and like you, you, it was just an unbelievable buzz. And then both uh, both benches, both teams during that series said, that it was like, oh my god, like this is different, and like they started off like all nervous because the anthem like nuked their brains because it was so loud and the fans were so crazy, and, it, and it's a huge stadium, so you have twenty two, twenty three thousand people with standing room only, um, and, and it wasn't really surprising to to hear uh, Jim Cornelis and the, the anthem singer explain that it gets up to twenty two decibels, which is like the uh, the same as a shotgun going off next year. So it's, it was, uh, I'm glad they focused on that a little bit too, because that's something that's kind of special and unique to Chicago hockey. 
when we first did the podcast back in February uh, around the Olympic break, and we talked about the way the Blackhawks are viewed and treated because I had just been to Chicago and, and how crazy people are for hockey there. And you had told me that it hadn't always been that way and that that's sort of a recent thing since they started winning. And Kane uh, mentions how you know the Blackhawks are one of the better organizations in the NHL, if not the best. And it just goes to show what, you know, a couple of high draft picks and a few winning seasons and a couple of cups can do. Because like you said, it was never the case there in Chicago. They were always, you know, sort of the uh, the misfit of the four of the four major sports there. And now they are pretty much I mean, I would think that that's the go to thing with the way the uh, the Bears and the baseball seasons have been going. Yeah, I mean, and there, for whatever reason, it would be Derek Rose's injuries, too. It seems like there's a lot of uh, negativity swir- swirling around the Bulls, too. Uh, even though they're pretty good. But, yeah, and it kind of gets back to what we were saying before, that it, it, you have to be lucky and good. So the Hawks stunk for a couple of years, or for a lot of years, and they ended up with the third pick and they, in uh, the 2006 draft and turned that into Jonathan Taze, and you had guys like Eric Johnson and uh, one of the Stahl brothers go ahead of him. So it was like, wow, we got Jonathan Taze fell to us at three. And then they won the lottery the next year and got Patrick Kane with the first pick. So, uh, and he wasn't necessarily the top-rated player, but that was the guy the Hawks identified. So it was like good fortune to get the number one pick and also good scouting to ignore some of the noise that we're calling for Kyle Turris or uh, James Van Riemsdyk and go with the guy that was undersized and with the guy that you thought was special. And it worked out. So they, they really... You have to be bad to get down in that area, but you know what? I mean, you look at Edmonton; they've had ten years in a row of top five picks or whatever, and they still stink. So you gotta—it's <laughs> gotta be—you uh, gotta be good and, and get the right guys when you're in that uh, in that position to have high picks. There were a few former Rangers uh, featured in the show, or at least seen in the show. The first was Michael Roosevelt, who gets that goal. And whenever I you know, hear his name now or see him score or even the fact that his name's on the Steely Cup, it just disgusts me. And I, I don't know how your thoughts are, Rose of all, but when he was in New York, I mean, he was a guaranteed turnover machine, and he had to be responsible for uh, at least you know half of the Henrik Lundqvist losses during his time here. Yeah, I, I don't know uh, what his role was with the Rangers, but the Hawks don't really ask him to do a lot. Like, he plays, uh, he's on the third pair no matter what. Um, and they, you know, he's kind of a more of a stay-at-home guy. They play him with a guy you can typically skate and move the puck. Last year it was Nick Letty. Last couple of years it was Nick Letty. This year they've had a few different guys there, whether it be uh, Trevor Van Riemsdyk, or uh, they've kind of had a run through of uh, call-ups. Uh, but they, typically they can all skate and they kind of cover for some of Roosevelt stuff. And, and he's a veteran. They said uh, in that. Series too, they highlighted that he, they, he had played 850 games. Like the guy's been around a while, so he's not great, uh, but he's good enough to be in our third pair for sure. And uh, I think he's helped grow and mature some of these young guys that he's played with uh, since he's been here. So I don't, I don't have any hatred towards Roosevelt or anything like that, like you're talking about. <laughs> um, but his contract's up after this year, and I'm re- kind of ready to see him go as well. Like I'm ready for that next generation of of young defensemen to really step in and, and take that spot from him in the in the third pair. And the next Ranger would be Carcillo, who didn't have a speaking role or anything like that, but you saw him on the ice in a few scenes in the show. And I really wanted him back. I thought he was great when he came over the Rangers uh, during the season last year. And 
Um, you know, unfortunately got suspended in the Eastern Conference Finals for in you know touching the ref or whatever the hell that was, and he, he probably would have at least gotten a chance to play um, in the finals against the Kings if that had never happened, and probably would have kept on playing in the in the Eastern Conference Finals too before that um, if that incident doesn't happen. And that incident um, has to do with another Ranger we'll talk about from the show, but uh, Carbomb, I mean, I miss him, and uh, he should be and could be filling in the role of Tanner Glass, so maybe we can make a little switch. Uh, you know what? I was wrong about Carcillo. He was actually with the Hawks a couple years ago, and I hated him. He was out of control. <laughs> he had too many turnovers, too many dumb penalties. And then when he wasn't getting suspended, he was getting hurt, and he eventually tore his ACL, and, and that was basically it. And the Hawks traded him to L.A. for, like, a seventh-round pick or something, and then he eventually found his way to New York after he couldn't hack it in L.A., um, and then, so I always just kind of like wrote him off. I'm like, ah, oh, he's playing for the Rangers, but they're like in the Eastern Conference and whatever. He's been great this year. He's playing within himself. He's playing on the fourth line. Um, bring, brings energy. Um, I can't re- recall more than one stupid penalty. I think he's got maybe one fight on the year. Like he's not like dropping it and being a goon. He's actually playing some good hockey. And um, I guess the 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 word is. If he was on the street towards the end of training camp, uh, he got cut by somebody else. And a lot of the Hawks, Taves and some of the other leaders, went to Stan Bowman and Coach Q were like, hey, like we'd like to have an element of toughness to this team. Can we bring in Carcillo, see what, see what he's got? And they did, and the and, uh, rest is history. He's been a, he's been a real asset to the yeah, team this year. I think, it was, uh, I think it was Pittsburgh who had him right before the season. I think that's right. But, yeah, but they, they cut him, and... Uh, I'm on home, so he's he's been great. Yeah, and the thing with him is that, uh, like, I remember his days on the Flyers and the Coyotes when he was just reckless, and you just hoped that, you know, your team's best players weren't out there when he was because you just thought he would do something insane or stupid. And it was really when we st- when we first talked that you had mentioned um, his role on the Blackhawks because he had just got with the Rangers, and you had mentioned how at times, you know, they would put him on a line with Kane or uh, one of those first two scoring units, and uh, he was a real versatile guy. And we saw that when his time with the Rangers. I mean, he had a couple huge goals in the playoffs. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it sucks that he's, you know, they, they let him go away, and he went to Pittsburgh and now Chicago, and we've got Tanner Glass here who's uh, – you know, just a miserable player to watch. But the whole Carcillo ending in the Rangers um, happened with that suspension in the playoffs, and that came after Brandon Pruss uh, did a nice little flying elbow on Derek Stepan in MSG in the playoffs. And uh, Pruss takes that dive against Kane uh, in, in the Canadiens-Blackhawks game that's, that's shown in Episode 1. And when Pruss was here, I was... I was a fan of his just because he's on the team, but I wasn't as crazy of a hardcore, you know, fan. He's like a big fan favorite when he was here because he's, you know, that gritty third, fourth line guy who does things that all the blue collar people want to see. But um, since he's gone to Montreal, he's really turned into a scummy player, whether it's, you know, elbowing people in the head, diving. And it just seems like once he put on that Montreal jersey, his entire game changed. Yeah, and uh, I've always kind of liked him, too. I have a soft spot for the tough guys. I think there's still uh, still a need for that. And it's kind of, you know, like we said, I just mentioned Taves and, and some of the other Hawks leadership asked to bring Carcillo in because they wanted his toughness and they felt they needed that kind of uh, insurance policy on the team. So I've always kind of liked Press, but you're right. It seems like he, he lost a step up in Montreal and added some of the nonsense that uh, he didn't necessarily do all the time when he was with the Rangers. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd have to agree with you. Press is... Uh, 
he's gone away. Maybe it's you know it's the water up there, Montreal. They, they dive a little bit more. They complain a little bit more. They take some some liberties that they probably shouldn't, and then uh, cry when other people go after them. So that's typical Montreal. It's in the water. It's terroir. You know, it's it's just how it is up there. So um, yeah, it's too bad for uh, too bad for Frost. And then there's uh, Scott Darling, who I uh, I knew that Crawford's out, and I didn't I didn't really know what the the Blackhawks goaltending situation was while he's out. But to see him rip through 13 minor league organizations that he's been with before getting a chance in the NHL, and most of those, if you go to like his hockey DB page, he he didn't even play in a game for them, so he just probably got called up for a backup emergency situation, and, right. and then went back somewhere else. But to see 13 teams, and then to finally end up on the Blackhawks. And, you know, he was in the Southern Pro League four years ago, which is just incredible. Uh, but he's done a nice job. I mean, I looked up his numbers, and I think he's 5-2, and two, and he's got a, a, a solid save percentage right now, and he's really filled in nicely. And uh, maybe he'll get a chance to stay up there once Crawford comes back? Well, Crawford's back, actually, and they, they sent Darling down last night. Um, right. Darling is actually... Um, he's a stoolie and he, he's good friends with one of my former teammates. They lived together in the summer. So I, I have a little bit of inside scoop on Darling, but he's just supposedly just the light switch came on a little bit later. He's a big guy, six foot six, and he's actually from Chicago area. Um, so it's nice that, you know, he finally made it to the NHL and it's for his hometown team, but he's just a worker. Like he just, he like, he just decided like, I'm not giving up on my dream. I'm just going to work and work and work and work until I'm, until so he made it, and he finally did, and it's a great story, and uh, and yeah, like I couldn't couldn't be happier for him, and um, and from what I said, like from what my uh, people, my buddy tells me that he's just the best guy. Like couldn't couldn't have happened to a better guy with Scott Darling. So uh, yeah, he he'll be up and down, I would say, for the majority of the year. Um, who knows what will happen come playoff time? Crawford's obviously the, the unquestioned number one since he's wearing a ring. Uh, but I could see a situation where Darling ends up being the backup uh, full time. He's a little bit cheaper than uh, than Ranta, and uh, you know when when you're a cap team, you're right up against that cap ceiling. You need uh, pinch out every penny you can. So if you can save two hundred thousand dollars by having Darling in over Ranta, then that's something they'll probably explore. And along that goalie line, uh, they show Mitch Korn, the uh, the goalie coach of the Capitals, who lives out of a hotel room. And he, what a weirdo that guy is! He's is, he is definitely the weirdest guy of this series. Uh, and the fact that they mention that some hockey magazine, they don't say who, probably the Hockey News or something like that, calls him one of the top ten geniuses in hockey. And here's a guy uh, who's lives in the same hotel. I think he mentions the same room because he says he forgets the room number, but he checks out every time they go on the road. So this guy is a so-called genius, is is literally moving in and out of uh, essentially an apartment every single time they come home. Um, I, I guess the word genius is just being used really loosely, but he's definitely the weirdest guy on the show so far. Yeah, definitely the weirdest guy. And like just has the, like the way he speaks was a little quirky too. Um, and like the hotel room stuff, like, what are you afraid of? Like, he totally thinks he's getting robbed. I don't know what his deal was. I saw it and he's got the goalies doing some different types of training, like they're sliding around, holding the medicine ball. There, there maybe there's some, uh, maybe that works. I don't know. Um, but I saw it, I blocked it earlier in the year. Uh, somebody took a vine and they've got some kind of like laser light show setup of blinking lights that he puts in like different shooting positions. 
and then the goalies just like react to the lights like there's no pucks they just slide around <laughs> squaring up to like blinking lights it's like what the hell is going on with this guy sometimes i think when guys are weird and eccentric and they they get that genius label without really earning, earning it, it. it's <laughs> yeah, like oh look at this quirky guy he you know he must get results but who knows so uh, I I was like, this guy's a big weirdo down in uh, running <laughs> goalies for. <laughs> I can see if they were like, you know, Mitch Korn uh, has been a, a part of, you know, 11 Stanley Cup winning teams or something, and then you'd say, oh, maybe he whatever he's doing is right. But, uh, yeah, he's a weird guy, and he said something about he uh, the fact that he had to move out of his room had something to do with, like, his conscience. Like, it's not like the team was like, oh, we're giving you this Ferrari, and he was like, no, I'll just drive a Camry or something. It's like, you're living in this right. home. you got to live in this room for the rest of the year. What I don't get what he feels guilty about or something. This you know, a, know. this billionaire owner is giving you a hotel room, which is worth nothing to him. It's just, what, I'm almost, know, that guy's out to lunch. I'm almost surprised he doesn't like sleep in the equipment room or something. <laughs> like He's just like, you're like he's Rudy. Like Rudy breaks into the stadium and sleeps at night in that in that movie. So I don't know. Like that guy, and I remember that line too, being like, dude, like that's part of the deal. Like you don't have to live out of your car. Like you're a you're a professional goalie coach. Like you haven't, you know. I don't know that guy. That guy, other than Q, like being hilarious without trying. I thought that guy was the biggest story just by being a, a nut job. And they said how he's been with Trotz for a long time. It sort of reminded me of uh, in the movie Rookie of the Year when the manager says that, uh, you know, the pitching coach, he beamed him in the minors, so he's just been following around. It's almost like... <laughs> Brickma, yeah, it's almost like he's that guy. Yeah. No, I, I didn't... I missed that part where he said he'd been with Trotz. I love Barry Trotz, so if Trotz believes in this guy, then that's all I need to hear. He, this guy can be as weird as he wants. I guess he probably developed uh, Pekka Rene and uh, they've had a few good goalies go through uh, uh, Dunham and, and among others through Nashville over the years. So if uh, if it's good enough for Trotz, it's good enough for me. But my goodness, that guy, what a weirdo. <laughs> and the last Ranger that's featured is uh, your now Chicago Blackhawks, Brad Richards. And uh, it was good to see him, you know, living life. He's playing on a great team. He's just like a role player now. He doesn't have to carry the team. He doesn't have to be a superstar. He doesn't have to run the power play doesn't have to be ripped in the Daily News and the Post every day for his $60 million contract. And he was a good Ranger. He wasn't great. He was never going to live up to the nine-year $60 million deal they gave him because there's only a handful of guys in the league who could have, and he's certainly not right. one of them. But he sort of got, um, you know, he would get fatigued and tired as the seasons went on, and that showed in the playoffs. But he did have a, a few productive years here. He was good his entire time here uh, until Tortorella sort of threw him under the bus and benched him at the end of that playoff run a couple years ago. But it's good to see Brad Richards on the Blackhawks and getting a chance here now um, to sort of be the guy that he probably should have been with the Rangers at this point in his career, but was asked to be too much. Yeah, I mean, he, he's been great. Uh, it took him a little bit to get going, and I really attributed that to kind of what they touched on in the in the show last night, it's like new life, new baby, new city, new apartment, new team. Like you know, like everything is just like just overload on this guy, um, and it was just probably too much to handle all at once. But now that he's settled in, uh, he's he's been really good. He's playing with Christopher Stieg and um, Patrick Kane. That line's been really good, and that's um, probably been the Hawks' best line actually. And, 
so yeah, I, I have no complaints about Brad Richards. I know you you guys weren't too happy with him last year, but he had 51 points in the regular season. Um, so I, I don't know. We we've liked him. Um, he's kind of had to earn his his role because he's um, he, he because he got off that slow start. You had him on the fourth line, and uh, and now he's kind of earned his playing time up with uh, the better players, and it's really paying off. And he and he does kind of run the second power play for the Hawks too. So he gets uh, special teams time, and I, I really liked him. When I first graduated from college, I lived in uh, I lived in Hoboken because I couldn't afford to live in Manhattan, and I really couldn't have afforded to live in Hoboken because I had like no money. And uh, my roommate and I, the apartment we had looks was furnished like the fridge is stock like uh, exactly the apartment you see from Tom Wilson and Michael Lotta on the Capitals. <laughs> and the <laughs> I mean, there I we had I was eating mac and cheese for weeks on end, and, and Tom Wilson's making nine hundred twenty five thousand dollars this year. Michael Lotta is making five hundred seventy five thousand dollars. Uh, it might be time for those two to step it up, and I feel like at some point um, in every season or every series of this show, uh, every season of this series, we see uh, a couple guys on a team who are roommates, and you see their apartment, and, and it's a little underclass for what uh, major professional athletes should have, but this is by far the worst one I've seen, and going you know, everything down to like the Bob's gis- discount furniture uh, couches with the team blanket folded over. I mean, this was like, this looks like a replica of my you know post-college apartment, and here they are, two NHL, two NHL guys. And I, was, I don't know, like, I love that. I put a smile on my face. Something <laughs> that everyone, uh, every guy can relate to. Like, you don't know anything about decorating. You don't have, you know, consistent girl to decorate it for you. You're just kind of out on your own. And what do you need? You don't even need, they didn't even have a dinner table. They were just like, oh, we just play ping pong. <laughs> And then when you know when we're done playing ping pong, then we eat here or eat on the couch. Like, it was like the the ultimate like young bachelor apartment, and uh, it looked great. It looked great to me. So <laughs> just a couple of poor guys, not really poor, but living poor. And uh, I thought it was great. I thought I loved seeing that from uh, from guys that could definitely be living better, be living bigger, but all they really care about is hockey. And girls that they're bringing back aren't leaving when they see that they've got some shitty bed or, or whatever. So they're, you know, they're, they're going to be doing just fine. They don't need to be impressed anybody. They're just living life how they want to, uh, how they want to live it. And I thought that was beautiful. I know when they walked in the first room and the bed was on the floor and it reminded me, my dad would come over and be like, you don't, you don't even have a frame for your bed. And there's just, there's no, there's no dressers. And I guess in their, in, you know, to their credit, they could say they're on the road all the time. And at any second, I guess they could be traded or sent down. So why, you know, make yourself comfortable. But, um, yeah, the Xbox controllers on the couch, just ketchup in the fridge. I mean, that place was a fucking mess. Yeah, but still, at the same time, it was, it, it was like, my goodness. Like, I would never want to live like that again, but I love how those young guys are living. Like, kind of, you know, brings you back a little bit. <laughs> well, the uh, the first episode, it, it was pretty good. I uh, I wasn't sure what to expect. I didn't know how it would trans, uh, you know, transition from HBO to Epix, but it's, it was pretty seamless. It felt like it was, it was exactly the same way it was in HBO. And uh, overall, very good. I thought. I think going forward, it will only get better, and hopefully, we get into the lives of some of the stars like uh, Kane and Taves, maybe even Ovechkin. Even though, I mean, the Capitals are just so worthless to even write or talk about, and it's just like they just gotta have, stop having them in the Winter Classic. I mean, you couldn't have another team in against the Blackhawks. I yeah, I, I agree. I think Ovechkin still to the casual fan. I think he still you know, puts asses in seats, as they say. So. I kind of get it on that level. 
Um, but yeah, I, I would have preferred somebody else than uh, than Washington, but it is what it is. And uh, yeah, I, the only thing I miss from the HBO is the narrator. I think his name's Lee yeah, uh, Schreiber. Yeah, he I think he, he's he's the best. So like that, when I heard this guy's voice, I'm like, this is not quite the same. <laughs> but they did a good job. It was better than I expected, actually. Uh, and I hope now that, that they've kind of set the table, they'll get into some kind of quirkier off the ice, you know, hockey guy stuff rather than uh, just telling the basic story. <laughs> and I think the you know aside from Schreiber, the other thing is I think the the musical choices in HBO are just so perfect that uh, I think that those are the two things that really made the show. And Epic's certainly it's not going to be what it was, but they did they did a good enough job and. Uh, I guess the last thing to talk about is the state of the Blackhawks because it seems like you're always so high on them. I know they got off to a rough start, but now they're, of course, in first place. They're going to make the playoffs. That's a given. And uh, at this stage of the season, we turn uh, you know the holiday season, it come, comes New Year's in a couple of weeks here. Is there anyone that really scares you right now in the West or the East? Um, LA will always scare me. Like I, I think that they're kind of the team – where they're on autopilot during the regular season, and then come playoff time, they flip a light switch and they're awesome. So they still have all the principal pieces that they had last year that made them so great. So L.A. will, until like the Hawks beat L.A. in the conference finals, which I think that's what the conference finals will be for a third straight year, uh, they'll always kind of scare me. Out east, I really think Detroit. I think they'll, they'll make a move at the deadline for another defenseman, top four type defenseman. And then I think they're going to be great. Uh, other than that, I don't really buy Pittsburgh. Boston seems like they're dead. Uh, the <laughs> Rangers, meh, I don't know. Um, it seems like you Brock, guys always, or at least you have this mentality that it's the Black, it, basically the Blackhawks is theirs to lose, and if they lose it, something bad had to happen along the way. Uh, I, I don't know if I would go that far. Like I just think that, like, L.A. beat the Hawks last year and deserved to win uh, Like all the credit in the world to L.A. Um so, uh, yeah, but I, I think those are the top two teams. Uh, uh, we have our other guy. I think you've had him on uh, Rear Admiral, um, the Boston Bruins Barstool writer, and he has this thing that he coined where you need that uh, Selkie, Norris, Vezina triumvirate, and the Hawks have it, the Kings have it. Nobody really else has it. So, um you know, guys are capable of winning those awards. So, um, I like that. So yeah, so, yeah. So I, I like that too. And so like LA, LA has all the pieces. The Hawks have all the pieces. Everyone else seems like they're kind of missing something. So Audi, I think you can make a good argument for probably six or seven different teams to win the Eastern Conference. Out west, it's probably the Hawks in LA, and then St. Louis is probably one step behind because they had goaltending issues. So, I know we've uh, talked in the past about the comparison of the, the Blackhawks right now and the Yankees uh, you know, over the last 15 years or so. And um, from winning a parlay thanks to the Blackhawks the other night against the Flames, it, one of the things that I always think about with the Blackhawks and uh, whether it's just thinking about them in general or if it's uh, you know you're wagering on them or you see them on their show is that no matter what the score is, they always come back. Like the game, they can be down two nothing, three nothing. At some point, the game will be tied, or at least they'll put themselves in a position to tie it. 
And I think that's something that in baseball reference, the Yankees had for so long where, you know, it could be six, nothing in the seventh inning. You just felt like they get two guys on something crazy is going to happen. And then this game will be tied sooner or later, but the Blackhawks have that element. I don't really know. I know the Kings had it in their run and they had so many crazy comebacks, but that might've just been, you know, an, an anomaly. And it seems like at least for the last few years, the Blackhawks have had that where no matter what it is, you know, whether it's three, nothing or whether it's two to one, and there's 30 seconds left. And they have to pull Crawford. They're going to put themselves in a position to get back in the game. And I don't really think there's any other team in the league that comes close to having that same capability. Yeah. They just have so much firepower. So they, they really do have more than, uh, than LA when it terms to, when it comes to high end uh, talent. So they got Marion Hosa. Like, Marion Hosa isn't even producing this year. I think he got his sixth goal of the year the other night. Um, but, you know, he, he was you know, 30 last year. He's certainly not on pace for that. Um, so, like, they're going to – they have Hosa, they have Sharp, they have Taves and Kane, and uh, Brandon Sod's really been fantastic. Christopher Stieg has had an unbelievable bounce back here. They just have so many high-skill players, and then enough guys like Andrew Shaw and Ben Smith that just work and work and work for chances and grind you into the ground that that you're right. Like they just I just never believe that they're done until that final whistle blows. And I really I'm trying to think of a game this year where they were never in it. Like they're down three or four yeah. nothing and I can't and I can't. Like I feel like they're always you know, you're always in the third period thinking that the Hawks are at least have a shot to uh to get a point or or hopefully the two. So the full two. So yeah, you're right. Like we're we're pretty pretty blessed out here. Uh, with this with this team right now. All right, Ryan. Well, we've got uh, Christmas next week, so uh, maybe we won't talk next week, but we should do this again and uh, go over the show again because I'm sure it's going to be as good and, and hopefully it gets better. Hopefully we see some of the Lively stars. So thanks for coming on today, and we'll have to uh, get in touch over these next few weeks to talk about the show again. Yeah, anytime, Neil. Thanks for having me.